The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the second chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. And at the end of eight days, when Jesus was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. What does such baptizing with water indicate? That's one of the questions that Luther asks in the small catechism. Maybe you're familiar with the answer. It indicates that the old Adam in us should by daily contrition and repentance be drowned and die with all sins and evil desires and that a new man should daily emerge and arise to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. After all, Luther points out, we were buried with Christ in baptism. We died with him. That's one of the things we say at every funeral. When we enter the sanctuary with the casket, we put a pall over the casket, and we remember these words of Paul. Do you not know that as many of you have been baptized into Christ Jesus, were buried with him? So that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, you too might live a new life. Baptism marks the end of the old and the beginning of the new. It marks death and resurrection. It marks the end of sin and the beginning of righteousness. And that is not surprising that there would be such a sharp contrast that arises in baptism. After all, this is what God does. He makes distinctions. He separates things. He did this already from the beginning. If you think back to how God created the world, in six days, he spent six days separating things. First, the light from the darkness, then the firmament in between the waters above and the waters below, and then he separated the sea from the dry land, separating, day from night, separating, drawing distinctions. It matters to God that things be made clear that one thing that is different from another be contrasted. This is, in fact, how God deals with covenants. In the Old Testament, when God made a promise to his people, when he said, I'm going to do something for you, or when two people made an agreement with one another, there was always something that was cut, that was cut. An animal was cut in two in order to signify that this covenant, this promise, this agreement marks a distinction between what came before and what comes after. And so when God said to Abraham, you're going to be my man and your offspring will be my people, God said to Abraham, take an animal and cut it in two. And then the Lord himself passed between the two parts of that animal, saying, what came before is in the past. Something new is ahead. God separates things, makes distinctions. He cuts one thing off from another, and that is the reason for circumcision. God is not as bashful as we are, about talking about these sorts of things. And so, circumcision comes up all the time in the Bible. God instructs Abraham to circumcise his children, for him to be circumcised. God gave Abraham those instructions in Genesis chapter 17 when Abraham was 99 years old. Not a great time to be circumcised. 99 years old, Abraham was to take up this sign of the covenant. Why? Well, God made a promise to Abraham. He said, you are going to be the father of a multitude of nations. And God changed his name from Abram to Abraham, saying that this promise was his. God was marking a difference between what came before and what is now coming after. What came before was a time of no promises, 
of uncertainty, of old age leading to death, and now the time that follows is a time of promise and hope for Abraham, a time of life and certainty and deliverance from death. And so God said, here's my covenant. I'm going to make a great nation of you, and in your family, God says to Abraham, in your family, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And this is the sign. I want you to get circumcised. An intimate sign, if you will, a sign that cuts close. And so Abraham could not mistake it. He could not miss it. This sign that deals with everything that is most intimate in a man's life, this sign was given to Abraham. Why? Because fatherhood is the very reason that sin comes into the world. It's passed down from one father to his son. And so God gives him this sign in his flesh to mark that something different is happening now. The old is being cut off and the new begins. The old of sin and death and sorrow and grief and hopelessness, that is in the past because now something new has begun. The Lord God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, he is your God and your savior. And God wanted Abraham to be sure that that was true. So he gave him this sign. A new life had begun. A life of loving the Lord, of living according to his promises, of following his commandments. It was a sign that was given to all of God's people. A sign that was reiterated from one generation to the next. And in fact, you can see that when the people went astray, when they stopped listening to God, they forgot about these signs. And so there was a time in Israel's history when everyone had to be circumcised again. When they came into the promised land, when Joshua led the people into the promised land, they all had to be circumcised again because they had not been doing it. They had forgotten about it. Just as later when the kings ruled over Israel, they all of a sudden realized they hadn't celebrated the Passover for so many years. The Passover, of all things, it'd be like forgetting Christmas. How could that be? And so, they remembered. And they used the sign that God had given them, and they believed his promises, and once again they were drawn back. The sign mattered tremendously. But more than this external sign, what God wanted from his people was that they would trust in him. And that's why the Bible often talks about a circumcision not just in your flesh, but in your heart. You see, it'd be possible to use the sign of circumcision to think that you were one of God's people. Just as many folks tend to use baptism to think that everything's just a-okay. As long as I'm baptized, everything is just fine. It doesn't matter what comes after that. But what God's interested in is not something on the outside. He's interested in something on the inside. If circumcision in your flesh didn't mean also circumcision of your heart, that is, cutting off from your heart idolatry and sin and darkness and evil, then the circumcision in your flesh didn't mean anything. It didn't do you any good. St. Paul says you may as well be uncircumcised if that's how you think. And so God was concerned about what went on inside the hearts of his people. He's concerned about what goes on inside your hearts as well. And that is why Jesus has come, and why today we have a very short gospel lesson. Here's a bit of trivia for you. It was 11 years ago, I think 11 years ago today, that I was uh, visiting the congregation while I was a seminarian, and I preached on this text 11 years ago. I'm not preaching the same sermon. I didn't just recycle it, but uh, it's kind of ironic. Anyways, that's neither here nor there. Uh, This short gospel lesson This very short gospel lesson that details Jesus being circumcised. Why does it matter so much? Well, think about what circumcision does. It cuts off the old from the new. 
It signifies the end of the old and the beginning of the new, the separation of sin from righteousness, death from life. Now, that doesn't make so much sense when it comes to Jesus. After all, he had no sin to repent of, no idolatry in his heart, nothing really to leave behind. So what was going on? Well, in being circumcised, Jesus was joining himself to the covenant that God gave to Israel. He was entering into the promises that God gave to his people, the promises to which his people had proven unfaithful. After all, they couldn't keep their side of the covenant. They failed to trust God. They failed to follow his commands. They failed to believe his promises. And so Jesus enters in to that covenant. He leaves behind his divinity. He sets it aside, becoming a man under the law something to which he is not subject because he is the Lord of the law. He puts himself in that spot. He leaves what he had behind so that he can do something new. And here's what he's doing that is new. He's taking on himself all of your sin and mine, all of the sin of the people of Israel, all of their unfaithfulness, all of their unwillingness to follow God's commands, all of their inability to trust his promises. He takes all of that on himself straight to the cross, So that what happens in circumcision is really the beginning of Jesus being cut off entirely from the land of the living, being cut off from his Father's presence. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Being cut off from among his people, not being reckoned with the righteous, but being counted with the sinners and with the wicked. That is what happens to Jesus. That's what begins now in circumcision. He is set apart. He's set apart to suffer and die for you. Why? Because God wants to separate your sins from you. Picture that. What happens as Jesus lives his life and endures sorrow and suffers temptation and obeys his Father perfectly is that he takes upon himself all of your sins. He takes them away from you. He cuts them off from you. And then he takes them as far as they can be from you. He nails them to the cross. That's what Paul says In the letter to the Colossians, he says they've been nailed to the cross so that they cannot harm you any longer. That is why Jesus has come to be circumcised, to be a perfect keeper of the covenant, to do what we could never do, to be the perfect sinner, suffering perfectly for us, bearing all of our guilt perfectly on the cross. Jesus, quite unlike us, doing everything we could not do. Now, that would be one thing. It would be a marvel if that's simply something Jesus did, and we could all stand back and say, what an an amazing person he is. But he does not want that, his righteousness, his goodness, his mercy, to remain separate from us. So here's the picture you should bear in mind today. Although in circumcision and throughout God's creation and in his making of covenants with people, he's always cutting things off, separating one thing from another, what God does for us in Christ Jesus is that he joins us to him. So he separates us from this world. He separates us from our sin. He separates us from death, not so that we can just float free by ourselves, but so that we can be joined to Christ, so that we can be united with him. That's what your baptism signifies. Circumcision was kind of a violent and bloody deed. Baptism is even more so. For in baptism, you were buried with Christ, not just a part of your flesh cut off, but Jesus' death and resurrection were yours. You were laid in the tomb with him, and on the third day you rose again. You have already died. You have passed from death to life. Why? Because you are in Christ, because you bear his name. 
Moses was to give instructions to to Aaron that he was to bless the people. How? By putting God's name on them. That is to say, you belong to Jesus. As surely as Jesus was given that name, he saves his people. The Lord saves on the eighth day. You have been given the name Christian. That is a child of God, a brother of Christ. You are united with him so that nothing can harm you, so that you can live a new life, so that the old is behind you. It is fitting that we celebrate this on New Year's Day, when everyone is thinking about New Year's resolutions, all of which will fail. (laughs) You will never keep them all. All of our efforts to leave things behind and to set off on something new, they all fall apart, but not this. Because this is something that Christ has done for you. He has separated your sins from you, and he has given you a new life. And that is how you can live and walk in him. That is how you can take up the struggle in your life against sin and temptation, the struggle against sorrow, the struggle against despair, even the struggle against death. It's how you can take up the fight, the good fight of the faith, because you belong to Jesus. You can leave it all behind, not because of some good resolve of yours, not because of some effort on your own part, but because Christ has already done it for you. You have been raised from the dead, so now walk in that new life. The burden of keeping in covenant, the burden of doing everything that God has commanded his people in the Old Testament, that burden has been borne by Jesus, so now you are free. You are free to live a new life. You are free to live as children of God. Rejoice. Apart from that, it is all slavery and sin and darkness and death. Rejoice, because a new life is in front of you, a life of repentance and grace, a life of peace and comfort, a life of joy, an eternal life, a life that will not fade away, a life that bears no disappointment, a life in which you will not suffer any temptation, a life in which every tear that is in your eyes will be wiped away, a life in which your Savior loves you beyond measure. Praise God that he has come to bear this for us and to give us such generous gifts. To God alone be all glory now and forever. Amen.